Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod, everybody. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Before we get going on episode 40, by the way, I realize, Danny, I've been, I've been negligent in thanking our loyal followers because three episodes ago, I attempted to shame folks into rating the podcast. And at that time, we had 79 ratings on Apple Podcasts and 60 ratings on Spotify. Those 79 ratings, in short order, became 116 ratings. Oh, there you go. On Apple Podcasts. And those 60 ratings on Spotify became 86. So combined, we're over 200 ratings now. <laughs> is there maybe some overlap there? Is, is this possible? Like, is this what they mean by straight to the moon? When they're going to ride something straight to the moon, you're supposed to have diamond hands and, and hold things. Are you familiar with Wall Street Bets lingo? Yeah, we're, we're hodling right now. <laughs> I thought you were going to point out the feedback that we got from Eric, who described himself as unreasonably mad about our draft. Well, we do, need to, we do need to get into that as well. <laughs> I loved it. I just want to say, like, the, my desired demographic for the Say Who Say Pod followers is for people who are unreasonably mad about inane stuff we do. Like, that, that's exactly who I want to appeal to, and I'm not kidding about that at all in the slightest. Yeah, we need any and all reactions to what we do to be as unreasonable <laughs> as possible. <laughs> if it's reasoned, if it's rational, where well, this thing probably doesn't work, frankly. Yeah. Um, we, we can try our best to be reasoned and rational, but I, the responses need to be unhinged. Not that this one was, but... It wasn't, but it was very funny because he was fixated on... Basically, it was, we neglected positional value. That cornerbacks should not have been chosen high. I, I think I took the first one, and it was Elijah Molden, on the very sound rationale that I really like how he played. And if I drafted a team full of players from the Chris Peterson era who played under Chris Peterson, Elijah Molden was maybe like one of three guys that I absolutely had to have on it. Uh, another of whom was Jojo McIntosh, who you stole. It also should be noted up front, like above all else, a draft of this nature. And trust me, there will be more. We, we, we're, <laughs> we're not above rattling off some drafts here through the, uh, the cold, cold days of the offseason. It's really just a vehicle to, to, to member some guys, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so let's, let's establish that first and foremost. But also, I would say, and because it is a fair point, like I went into this kind of thinking, Okay, who, where, where were they kind of weak? You know, where were there very few like NFL draft picks and all conference game changer type guys? Your first pick was Miles Gaskin, and the gap between him and the second best running back that that played under Chris Peterson is is pretty steep, honestly. Yeah, and then I took Vita Vea, who you know, look they had five first team all conference interior defensive linemen to choose from. Elijah Qualls didn't even get picked, so it's not like there's an enormous drop, but when Vita Vea is the top guy, yes, there is a big gap between him and, and the next guy. So I thought, you know, that was an important pick. And and speaking of the, you know, the positional value, I responded to you taking John Ross by saying, well, I can't let him have Ross and Pettis, right? Because mm -hmm. those are the clear top two. So I took Pettis right away. So that's kind of the thing. Like, if one person clearly starts to to load up on the positions where there's not as many all-conference type guys to choose from, it's, it's a two-person draft, so you can be pretty responsive in real time, you know? Like, it wasn't going to get to a point where, I think between us, we had six, there were six first-team all-conference offensive linemen kind of in the pool based on our parameters, and I think we went three and three there. So, you know, I, if anything, uh, 
I uh, I pulled one over on you by getting Nick Harris and Coleman Shelton with consecutive <laughs> picks. The Nick Harris one, but that's my own fault because I got I I, I spit it out. Uh, I don't know if you would have taken Nick Harris in that spot anyway. Um, I was going to take him. I do like I do like the fact that we're like responding super rationally and almost defensively to the unreasonably bad <laughs> sort sort of critique because I would also say. Like his argument basically was we didn't take offensive linemen high enough, and Trey Adams should have gone consistent, like significantly higher. I I recognize that. I also think offensive line is the position that gets chosen most based on reputation rather than actual performance. And and that's not to say that like oh that was Trey Adams far and away the best offensive lineman that played at Washington during. The, under Chris Peterson, who played downs under Chris Peterson, was he the best one? Reputationally wise, I think yes, but I don't think that's the reality. And actually, I might argue that Nick Harris was the best offensive lineman, and he didn't get drafted higher because of sort of NFL specs, but the way he played and his overall performance. So that's my hyper reasoned response to the unreasonably mad listener. But seriously, Eric, we love you. Yeah, no, please keep listening. Um, I, yeah, and leave a review. <laughs> I kind of, I thought we would, I, when we, after I published it, I kind of thought, okay, what's the, what would upset people about this? What's, what's the, like, and I kind of thought, well, geez, you drafted two all Chris Peterson teams and there's no Kevin King, you yeah. know? Yeah. But there's so many DBs, like somebody who's really good is going to get left off. Jordan Miller's um, a pretty good player too, and he didn't get drafted. Right. Keith Taylor. Yeah. Elijah Qualls. Yeah. Like I mentioned, so I kind of I thought maybe we'd get some backlash on that, but no, it is an interesting question. Like, if it were look, uh, you know, what would be what would be really interesting is if we brought like a a third or fourth person into it and said, you know, now we're gonna kind of we're gonna get to a point where everybody on their roster is gonna have multiple guys who were not all conference performers, mm-hmm. and so it's really gonna be a battle for like who do you prioritize, and then I think that strategy does come into it of you better load up on receivers and offensive linemen and linebackers really early. Cause that's kind of where it's, it's most thin. And, you know, he made the good point too, like an exercise like that really does serve to kind of highlight what the strengths and weaknesses of the program were, you know, that there wasn't, they weren't bursting with, with, you know, first, second round picks on the O line and mm-hmm. beyond Ross and Pettis, it gets, it gets pretty thin at receiver pretty fast. So, not that people didn't already know that. While they're loaded at tight end and corner, and the number of exceptional corners in the Peterson era is truly astounding. Especially when you, you cheated out like we did to include somebody like Trent McDuffie, who only played one year for him. Or Marcus Peters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, more, <laughs> maybe more cheating. Eight games for Marcus Peters. But it was, it was at the peak of his college performance, at God, least. I so. love Marcus Peters. I love the way he plays. Like, he's one of... I've said it before. Like I like the irreverent sort of loose cannon kind of players. God, I love Marcus Peters. Since we were mentioning Trent McDuffie here, Super Bowl champion Trent McDuffie. Yeah, as my, a rookie, my wife's been getting tired of like every time you see him on the on the screen, I point out that he's from Washington. And then when he got beat for that touchdown by H. A. Brown, my wife was like, "Is is that the former Husky you keep talking about? <laughs> hey, like, where's he from? <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, hey, hey." He's out there playing. He played really well. Like honestly, I mean, he gave up that that touchdown, but it was a hell of a play by AJ Brown. He he played. Trent McDuffie played really well in the playoffs. So, um, eight of the players we drafted on our teams 
have won Super Bowls? Man. Can you name them? Trey McDuffie's a free one. Okay. Jadon Mickens. Yep. Otten wasn't there yet. Vita Vea. Yep. Oh, this gets tough because you you have to sort of triangulate between two two ways. Anybody else on Kansas City? No. The Rams, Greg Gaines. Mm-hmm. Littleton wasn't there anymore. Littleton Ch- got to his Littleton was in the Super Bowl, they lost, Correct. but he has not won one. Right. Taylor Rapp. Mm-hmm. Any other guys off the Joe Tryon? Yeah. Not Joe Tryon. Oh, he was a he, he, it was okay, it was COVID year when. He 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 didn't play and hadn't entered the league yet the year that they won. Um Three more. Miles Bryant? Not Miles Bryant. Okay. Hmm. I'll give you a hint. Okay. He he just got his second ring, but he was on the practice squad. Who? So there's... Oh. Yeah, I'm not going to get it. Danny Shelton. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't going to get that. We could we could have gone all day and I wasn't I wasn't going to get Shelton. He, he got was, his he, 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 he got his first one with New England with as Patriots. an active player. Yeah. Um who else? The other two, Sidney Jones. Oh, I would with, not have gotten Sidney Jones. Who did he win it with? With Philly? With Philly. No yep. kidding. Mm-hmm. Good for him. And then Underrated still to this day doesn't even doesn't even come up in the the Rams equation. Coleman Shelton got a ring <laughs> last year. Okay, I feel better because those three guys like we could have sat here for an hour and a half, and I'm <laughs> I'm probably not going to get him. Like there was I, a, Elijah Elijah Qualls would have been the ninth, but we didn't end up taking him. Yeah, yeah. Um, there would have been Littleton a- and Marcus Peters both have lost in a Super Bowl, as has Dante Pettis, Andrew Sample. We there would have been a better chance that I had that that I would have gotten Elijah Qualls than any of the three guys that that you just mentioned. I wasn't pulling Shelton out. Uh, oh, Shaq Thompson also played in a Super Bowl. Yep. So they've been pretty uh, pretty well represented. Every let's see every game. Mm, the 2011 season 2012 game was the the last the last Super Bowl that a. Uh, uh, a Washington player did not include a Washington player. So Huskies have made it big time. Are you uh, are you gearing up to watch all your Pac-12 football on Amazon going forward? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I know that the announcement that they made on was they're it? looking forward to consummating. Dude, what's going? <laughs> Why do you release that? Like well, legitimately, like why? Why do you say that? So it starts out and it says the ten Pac-12 schools. So I'm like, okay, basically they're saying we're going with what we have, right? We're not adding. Like that's am, am I am I reading too much into that, or is that pretty clearly a statement that it's going to be the ten of us? 
No, I, well, I think that it's probably an indication that the media rights deal will be the 10 of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be, I mean, wouldn't you be just completely stunned if they don't expand by this point? Obviously George Klyovkov is in deep enough talks with SMU that he's wearing a generic baseball cap to a basketball (laughs) game and sitting in the suite with their, their, their big wigs. So I have, I have some thoughts about SMU. I kind of like the idea of adding the program that got the death penalty. (laughs) Oh yeah. I, I, I I don't mind the idea of having some overly rich Texas boosters involved in the conference, but it doesn't fit. Like, there's nothing about SMU that fits with the West Coast Conference at all. Like, nothing. Like, it's a uh... Dallas is, and people that I think Dallas is a fun city, but like when you go to Dallas, there is nothing about Dallas that resonates with the with a West Coast ethos. Whereas, like, Denver, yeah, like, Denver's not on the West Coast, but it's a Western city. Like, Dallas isn't. There's nothing culturally about, I, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a good school. Yes, it is a good and school. You know how important the, the academic, you know, being in the right academic clubs and all that is to the, to the presidents in the Pac-12, so it Do makes they... sense from that standpoint. But, like, look, okay, so San Diego State is, is option 1A yes. with yes. a bullet, like, the Pac-12 is not expanding without San Diego State. I think we, you know, I think everyone's kind of on that on on board with that at this point. What other schools out west make Boise sense? State. You think so? Yes. Eh, they're not at they're not at the the, the table academically that the the, the presidents need. I, I, like that part is so stupid to me. Like really, like that's what we're gonna. Oh, we want SMU because the 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 academic pedigree. Like I and. The, the part of it is like, okay, so you want to add the one school that when everybody hears it, what do they think of? That that's the school that got shut down for football. Like the biggest cheaters ever. That's basically, and I shouldn't say it that way because I know people will howl is the reason that they got caught is because they didn't have the reputation and the longstanding. But really over that, it's like, oh, we need the academics. No, Boise State, it's a West Coast school. It, it makes sense. It's, SMU doesn't make sense, and they they need twelve to have a championship game. Is is this basically why you have to have twelve? Oh, I don't think you need twelve for that. See, then I don't understand why you need to add them. I I I really don't. Um, if 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 it's adding SMU, I don't I don't get what that does for the conference. I think you want an even number, sure. And from what I've seen, so the athletic had a story. Um, published on the the ninth, so six days ago now as we record this on Wednesday morning. Um just kind of looking at the 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 landscape of Pac twelve expansion and and talks with SMU and the Big Twelve and and maybe uh some frustration over the lack of progress made on a media rights deal. I think a lot of folks kinda thought that'd be wrapped up by now. Um and uh, I don't know. It it it, it doesn't paint a really like encouraging picture of where the Pac-12 is is headed as far as like dollar figure per school or widespread distribution of their their inventory, which is a word we have to use now to refer to football games on television. Man, can, can we talk a little bit about this? Because, but I, I was just going to say what the reason that that SMU, um, I think the the biggest um, the biggest point in SMU's favor and and expanding back to twelve teams. It's not necessarily like the the dollar value 
per school that is driven by that it's, team. It's the it, inventory said, created. Oh, oh okay. So I thought you, you were going to say the TV market, and I was going to scream. <laughs> no. I thought it was going to be the size of Dallas's TV market, and I was just going to go I mean, nuts. somebody in a conference room somewhere is surely putting that on a list. Ah! <laughs> just scream. I yeah, warned you. You don't need an excuse. The people, I think, in Dallas, want... people in Dallas are really like looking around and just like, well, we got to fi- find out what time SMU is going to play Washington State. Like that conversation's happening in five places in Dallas, all of them in Dallas. Like that, that's, that's not a real, like that's something executives say because it sounds good. Like that's not a real consideration. Like people in Dallas aren't planning their day around watching SMU. And the idea that like if we can get it on TVs in the Dallas market, people will stumble there and that will increase our profile is so stupid. It was one of the reasons I hated the idea of like, let's kick off games at 9 a.m. Pacific because that early window, we have the opportunity to get on TVs in Virginia. Like nobody in Virginia who stumbles across that game, even if they watch it, is going to be like, wow, my eyes have been opened to the glories of Pac-12, and I'm going to have my five-star quarterback recruit now look at Washington State. Like, it sounds good, but it's stupid. Um, the, the idea of inventory and how this... I, I think there are legitimate questions about exposure versus revenue with, with your TV package. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the conferences are asking the right questions um, with regard to that. Like, I think there's a legitimate consideration to be made about how you go about spreading your games. In my mind, the Pac-12 and its last media rights deal forked over a massive amount of control of its schedule with the promise that you're going to get more money and more of your games are going to be aired nationally. And I think it came at the expense of, of the core audience. I, I, I think the person who was hurt most by the Pac-12's last media rights deal was the person who actually goes to games and, 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 and is a fan. And I think that the lesson that should be drawn from that is that don't cede all this control to the TV networks so they can to, to, to do what they want with your game. So I've been guilty of this too, but do we need to dispense of the term national television? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and for the most part we do. Because it used to be, you know, yeah, the game's going to be on ABC. It's going to, it's going to be the 1230 kickoff on ABC with Keith Jackson on the call and everyone's going to see it. And, you know, as opposed to being stuck on yes, root sports or uh, Fox sports Northwest or whatever it was back then. But like with streaming, I mean, isn't everything national now? Can't everybody, if you're willing to pay whatever you need to pay to get it, can't everybody everywhere get the the chance? But then that's the debate, right? Like people won't, they can, but they won't. Whereas like linear television is is still kind of king when it comes to actually drawing eyeballs. Yes. So maybe it maybe it is still a thing. So linear television, which people when they hear that should understand, that's cable. Like that's Comcast. That's something that is is a subscription service. Whereas a streaming service would be like YouTube Sports, or I mean Netflix is a streaming service, but it doesn't have live TV. Hulu is a streaming service. Another way to say linear television is the TV. <laughs> it's on the TV, as opposed to through your computer. <laughs> um, the way it currently works 
is for the Pac-12, you have sort of a series of partners. You have the Pac-12 network, you have Fox, and you have ESPN. All of those televise your games. And those networks spread those games across a day or a weekend when they're now having games on Friday night. So each one is putting games on their own service. And the idea is that we don't want one Pac-12 game conflicting with another Pac-12 game because we can air those on two, basically those can go to two different customers. The customer in this case being the actual streaming service or the, not not, the customer being the network that's carrying it, either Pac-12, Fox, or ESPN. And by doing that, you have this day-long spread of games, but that doesn't really help. I don't know if there's anybody that's sitting at home going from one Pac-12 game to the other, and there's definitely not. If you're a fan that's wanting to go to the games, it means that, well, your game might be at night because that's what they're going to decide a week or two weeks out. So I do think that, to answer your question, the national game really isn't as big a deal anymore, but ultimately this is about what the TV networks want, and I think that I think that the the conference spends too much time saying, like, we want our game to get in front of the most people instead of saying we want our game to be seen by our core customers. Like, that's that's who the priority person is. And it's not what what the network wants to show. That's my belief. And kind of, you know, to what we were just discussing, like the the exposure piece that happens that happens on linear television. Like. Yes. Drawing new new eyeballs and getting your your brand, which is how we have to talk about teams now, in front of as many people as possible. Like that happens on ESPN, that happens on Fox, that happens on ABC. So that's why the traditional linear television partner is so important. I I've really enjoyed the Amazon Major League Baseball broadcasts I've watched. The Mariners played a number of them last year. Um, they're definitely catered toward the less hardcore fan, like in terms of the broadcast production and everything, but I thought they also did some cool things with it. Um, and I, I think there's some opportunity there for like an improved viewing experience. So are you talking about Apple or Amazon? Oh, I'm sorry. Apple, right. Apple. Apple's yeah. done it. And it's, it's really interesting. So Katie Nolan was part of their broadcast team and it is I, like they've, they've used more. There are more different sort of statistics that they incorporate into it. And that I would say that they actually talk more about the personalities of the players. Um, it's a di- it, it is a different product that they're that they're bringing out, and I, I I found it interesting. I was definitely interested watching it. I know John Wilner mentioned in a, a recent story that that he thinks a- Apple is kind of one of the streaming partners that's involved, maybe, and, and obviously Amazon is is the one that you've heard the most about, and that people have kind of made some predictions about. Um, and I, I think you know if you had to like put money on it right now most people probably expect amazon to be the the streaming the digital partner that they they wind up with to, for at least some of their inventory um but I, I i'm not opposed to watching college football on a streaming service mm-hmm. i already we you know we already have amazon prime in our house we already have apple um i don't like the lag i think that like if you're addicted to to twitter against your will the way that i am and you're just you're scrolling and you follow people who are watching these games um who are there in person yeah it's it 
you you have to stop or it ruins the the experience for you. You you know sometimes it's twenty to forty seconds before you see the play that everyone's oh you know you see a series of tweets of oh my god or I can't believe that and it's oh okay something huge is going to happen you know and maybe that's a minor thing and the solution is just hey you know dummy put your phone down. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> that's but that's that's what I do now for all sports like I don't I guess I will occasionally chime in on it on Twitter but I don't watch I don't I don't scroll to Twitter. I don't watch my feed while a game is going on any game that I'm watching. I guess it it cuts down on that problem if the game is literally not on linear television yeah. anywhere yeah. and everybody who's watching it yeah. is watching a stream but isn't everybody kind of on like a different timeline? Like might my stream be 2 seconds behind yours type <laughs> I, of thing. I and would... so if you're texting with your buddies it kind of throws everything off. I I would say this, yeah. And the the example that I would give is we have, I have a seven hundred square foot apartment. Like it might be seven fifty. It's it's a New York apartment. It's small, and we have two TVs, one in the bedroom, one out here. And there have been times my wife is watching the same game I'm watching in the bedroom, and the feed in the bedroom is faster, <laughs> which makes no goddamn sense at all. But it's true. Like it happens, and I'm sure it has to do with there's Apple TV in the living room, and it's like some sort of Roku stick or whatever that in the in the bedroom and then when that happens she will occasionally ruin things for me where she'll see like you can't believe what happens next I'm like no <laughs> um so that happened in the that happened in the press box um oh it was the cal raleigh hit the home run to clinch a playoff spot for the mariners yes. where where was washington that night they were at ucla yep. i believe it was halftime and uh a number of us were I had I had a stream of the Mariners game up on my laptop, and a number of us were kind of, you know, half watching, just kind of monitoring it. And another reporter had had they must have had Twitter open and seen on Twitter what had happened, and kind of like mentioned to us that you know we should all really you said something to indicate we should really pay attention to the next pitch, you know. <laughs> and I don't know if that was better because it, it did prompt me to turn the sound up, so I got to hear the call. Yeah, but it was also like, man, you ruined it. Yes. You know? You don't get the surprise of it. Um, I think the Pac-12 would get the most money by going to Amazon or Apple. I think if if the I think if the 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 desire here is to get the most money for its member schools, I think a deal with one of those two tech companies, and I'm sure that they would want all of our word inventory, but the Pac-12 is probably going to want to split it, right? They're going to want to have, uh, if they were to sell and have a deal with a streaming service, they would still want to have some of their games, maybe their best game, carried by a, a network, right? Like over linear TV. Like what's the thought about which, which network is most interested in the Pac-12? All the reports have pointed to ESPN and... I got to think that's that's really the I mean as far as like a significant enough portion of their inventory that's that's going to like carry the deal and and have a big number attached to it it kind of has to be ESPN at this point like Fox is is all in with the Big 10 um ESPN's not involved with with that deal at all anymore they need the inventory they need to fill <laughs> the 10:30 p.m. eastern time slot um, the coveted 10:30 p.m. Eastern time slot that Pac-12 fans hate. 
so let's but let's kind of dope it so usually like espn has a sort of its prime game which will presumably be from the from the sec they paid a ton of money like the their game of the week usually goes on 4 30 pacific 7 30 eastern right and that game's carried on abc usually yeah Mm -hmm. so would they want another pac-12 game to go in that slot on espn depending on the game yeah or would they want to have we want the best pac-12 game or the whatever game we get, the first, second, or third best. We want we want like one of our picks of these games to go at seven thirty p.m. Pacific, ten thirty Eastern. I don't know that that's where you put the best game. Yeah, necessarily. Uh, ideally, it's going to be one that people want to watch. But I think the 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 notion is that you aren't competing with a whole lot in terms of of live sports at that time right. window. Right. So like people are, are kind of it's been it's been very successful. Um, like I think that's kind of a factor in why Washington State's TV ratings, you know, people were really surprised when Andy Staples published that story. Right. That had Wazoo as having played in a lot more like million viewer games than people probably would have assumed mm-hmm. over the last five, six years. And, you know, I, I think you flipping through and it's pack 12 after dark. And, you know, at the time a Mike Leach coach team and, you know, exciting offense and, Oh yeah, I'll watch this. You know, I think that's what you're, that's kind of what you're going for in that time slot. So let's look at it. This from two different perspectives. If you're the broadcaster. So in this case, we'll say ESPN and you're sort of the, the pack 12, you're buying pack 12 broadcast rights. Which window, like what time slot is your your primary, like that you want that game to go for your own interests? Is it is it the late, the Pac-12 after dark, 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern, or would it be something earlier? Like if you've got number eight Washington against number 10 Oregon. Yeah, where do you put that? I think you, I think you want it to go earlier. Okay. More people, I mean, more people are going to watch that game, so your your advertisers are going to get more eyeballs and... You can sell those numbers. So if you're ESPN, you would say, hey, we, we want the right to put, if we decide that the Pac-12 matchup is better than our best SEC matchup, we're going to put that in our, our prime spot. If, if you're the Pac-12, you want them to have the ability to do that, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I wouldn't ever count on them doing anything for the Pac-12 at the expense of even, like, the SEC's 10th most valuable property. <laughs> and, like, I, it, it's a funny thing to say. I'm totally serious. Like, yeah. I, I, they they will, the SEC, so someone said to me once, the for, for ESPN, the SEC comes first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, you know, seventh, you know, all the way down, all the way down to, like, Vanderbilt. So. Yeah. Here's, I guess I'll just... Like what I'm thinking, Christian, is if if the Pac-12 went to Apple or Amazon and say, "You're going to buy our whole package," like you're gonna ha- you're gonna have all our games that you want, and it, as a matter of fact, we're gonna sell you the Pac-12 network. You're gonna get all this equipment because we had this guy that ran tennis who came over here and decided we wanted to have a TV network. We don't want this TV network anymore. So when you buy the broadcast rights, you're gonna buy all our games and you're gonna get all of our equipment, and we're gonna be out of the TV business. I think that that approach 
is what would get you the most money. Because I think the tech company would look at it and say, there is a group of people that are really interested in Pac-12 football. And if we can tell them the only place that you're going to watch Pac-12 football is if you get a subscription to Apple or you get a subscription to Amazon, and they can make all of those games available, like even if they air at the same time slot, right? Like it's a streaming service. There's not like these limitations on on the over-the-air channels. So I actually think that would get you the most money. The problem is that's going to cut down significantly on your visibility. Like that will, you're not going to get some of the casual viewers. I'm not sure that that's a reason to not do it though, because, and it's kind of based on what you just said, any linear broadcaster that you partner with, you are not going to be their primary person. Like you're probably not even going to be the jump off in the parlance of having affairs. You're going to be like the fourth option. You're going to be after after they haven't liked what they've seen the first three times around the room that they'll decide to do it. And it might get you more visibility because it's over the air or linear television and, and what people get. But that might not be the best in terms of, of how your game's presented and, and honestly how much money you can get for it. The the factor I keep coming back to is like, is there a dollar figure that if if George Klyovkov puts the proposed deal in front of the presidents and says, okay, here's here's all the numbers, here's all the partners, here's how it breaks down, um, you know, dollar figure per school per year in distributions, is there a number that Oregon and Washington? are just not going to sign off on. We're not going to sign this unless it's at least this much money. Because if that's the case, and I kind of think like, well, I know for a fact, just from what I know about Washington's finances, that they've they've restructured some debt around the Husky Stadium renovation and the Husky Ballpark renovation. They've been they've been really creative with kind of restructuring that over the last several years to mm-hmm. to overcome a couple hurdles that have come up most recently the pandemic. Um paying a paying more money on those on to pay back those loans in 2024 20 or 2025 2026 is kind of part of the plan and is contingent on a better media deal yeah and that was a plan put forth like pre-pandemics i mean this is going back when even you know if usc and ucla had never left they were going to get more money on this next deal than they were the previous one obviously so I do think that there's a number that just doesn't work and I don't know what that number is, but that if, if you put it in front of Washington and Oregon and say, here's what it is. And Washington says, Hmm, well we've gamed out that the way our finances are going to change over the next several years, we need, you know, X number of dollars in media distributions, or we're going to have to make it up somewhere else. I could see the, the almighty dollar being the, the primary consideration if it's the difference between getting your two most important brands to sign off on it or you know risking them looking around and, and not signing a grant of rights and and potentially losing them i kind of as we're talking about this i kind of like the idea of of going exclusively to a streaming service and i i can i can recognize that i'm kind of being an idiot about it but you could really have some fun marketing it of like, yeah, we're actually the technologically advanced company. 
Like we're actually the conference, like if you understand the internet, like you know how to do this. Like I'm sorry that the other conferences can't figure this out, but we're actually tech savvy and we believe that our our consumers know how to use the internet. So you want to fall back on the academically prowess? <laughs> not not so much the academically that, prowess it? of like, I know that this wouldn't work in somewhere like the SEC where they don't have the internet. Like, I, I get well. that. I get we have some benefits for being West Coast, sort of close to Silicon Valley. Like, and and I, I acknowledge our privilege in that regard. Are the, are the wires more sophisticated out here? <laughs> we got <laughs> fiber optics. They Silicon don't. Valley. I get it. They're sitting there making phone calls with two tin cans attached by string. And I, I don't begrudge them. Like, that's, that's hard. But we're going to take advantage of the situation we've got. That um, would be quite the spin. Quite the media <laughs> campaign. <laughs> That'll that'll really that'll get you more exposure for sure. Oh God, have you ever heard of the uh, UFC fighter Chael Sonnen? I have not. No. So Sonnen, he's from Portland, um, and he's he's an incredible talker. Like he's just he he's pro wrestling like in his ability to do interviews, but then he's an actual fighter. Um, and so you get this combination of his theatrics off the feet, uh, off the away from the octagon are funnier and sort of like he's actually kind of a boring fighter but there was a he had a rivalry with all these brazilian dudes and um one of the the reasons is because he kept saying things like it and one interviewer asked him he's like well the brazilians are really mad at you for for the things that you've said about the country and he just looks at it and he's like look i didn't know they were going to be able to hear what i said like i if I really thought that I was talking to someone and that w- they wouldn't be able to hear it, and if I had the foggiest idea that Brazil had the internet, I never would have said that. So you can't hold it against me. It's like, wow, it's doubling down. <laughs> it was, but he did it so seriously. It was very, it was, it was very funny. So I say that to acknowledge that I'm being a jackass. <laughs> Absolutely, um, total jackass. But is it is it worth the trade off? Like from a, if you lessen your exposure but get more money is that worth it i think if the alternative is risking the dissolution of the conference it yeah is. well that's true oh i guess i see what you're saying you're saying if if washington and oregon didn't there's not enough money on the table for this deal they might just say like dude we can't do this like we're gonna we're gonna get lapped if we sign into this deal as it's constructed here yeah, and like the Big Twelve is clearly interested in further expansion, and their their commissioner has been, you know, not and has not been shy about uh, you know suggesting that the he he'd like to get into the the Pacific time zone, and I don't think do I don't think go, he means the Mountain West. Yeah, do you want to go to the? Would you, well, I'm not saying do you because I'm the idiot fan. Is the Big Twelve a good fit? It's not, and it wouldn't be. I don't think it would be Washington and Oregon that would set off yeah. that that series of dominoes i mean the four corners schools so-called are, are the ones who get mentioned you know arizona arizona state utah colorado they would be more ideal fits geographically obviously yeah. colorado was in the big 12 um but like i've never thought that that was a particularly realistic outcome and pac-12 leadership has kind of shot that down at every turn but i think it becomes more realistic if you know George Klyovkov can't put a deal in front of the presidents that is amenable to Washington and Oregon. Yeah. Because yeah. if you can't get them to sign a grant of rights soon, 
then the other schools who might have a Big 12 type option might start thinking that, you know what, that might make more sense for us right now because do I want to sign a grant of rights and, you know, do I want to commit mentally to a future that where, you know, geez, I don't know if, I don't know if Washington and Oregon are going to, are going to be around necessarily. So I don't, I mean, there's a million different directions that thing could go. I just think like they might be at a point where the immediate short term money is the most important thing. And like, I don't know if that, if that necessarily means that they would take all of their inventory to a digital partner. I kind of have a hard time seeing that. Mm -hmm. Like I have a hard time believing that one, that someone like Amazon has that kind of money to commit over, you know, whatever it might be a five or seven year term or well, look at, look at all the, the layoffs that they've, they've gone through recently. Now, don't let them fool you. Right. Amazon right. is Amazon. Yeah. The, the, you know, there's money there, but there's, you know, publicly they're, they're trying to portray themselves as a company that invested too much in human capital during the pandemic and yes. is, is now trying to, to cut back. So, you know, does that have any impact on whatever bucket they might set aside for sports broadcast rights? I have no idea, but I like it would, don't you think it would, a weird time for Amazon to announce that like they're just throwing a bag at the Pac-12. No. And for this reason, the TV like best under the television industry and by that I don't just mean linear television, but I mean the streaming services as well. Right now, sports, live sports programming is kind of the glue that's holding some of these pay TV packages together. And it is the possibility of saying the only way you can get this product is by coming to us, I think would be really attractive for a company that is trying to sort of establish itself. And both Amazon and Apple have sort of made entries, Amazon more so than Apple. Apple did it primarily with the the baseball games that we talked about. And that's baseball. There are so many games played, and it was a one night sort of there. And they're they're experimenting with some different types of of broadcasting. Amazon's got Thursday night football, and and they do some baseball as well. Like they're 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 much more positioned as a conventional broadcaster in terms of their presentation and what they're doing. I I think I I think the idea of being able to say we've sunk this big bunch of money into this to do this is separate from sort of the 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 business proposition the the human capital questions or the layoffs because i think it looks differently to the investors who are are kind of what those moves are designed to to appeal to um i think the layoffs i mean i'm i'm very skeptical of of companies i think the layoffs were designed to stimulate investment and and to encourage investors as opposed to any reflection of actual economic challenges. So speaking of Washington needing money uh, to satisfy some future budget challenges, present and future budget challenges, um, they have committed more than $3 million to their football coaching and support staff in 2023. What they paid in, in 2022. Um, you knew about Caitlin DeBoer's extension and raise. You knew about Ryan Grubb getting raised, getting a raise to $2 million a year. They announced uh, last week New contracts for the rest of the coaching staff. Jamarcus Shepard is up 150 grand to 800 thousand dollars a year now. 
Scott Huff up 150 grand, $850,000 a year now. Um, raises for every other assistant coach uh, except for Juice Brown, their cornerbacks coach. He's still on his original deal. But these are, you know, y- you want to keep Jamarcus Shepard. You want to keep Scott Huff. You want to keep Ryan Grubb. I mean, these are the kind of investments that are necessary. And I think you saw it at Colorado, too, with, with Rick George talking about their hiring of Deion Sanders at a salary that I think he even said publicly that he's like, yeah, you're like, we don't have, we don't have the money yet, but we will. So like there's, there is, does kind of seem to be this belief that there will be more money in Pac-12 coffers uh, through this media deal. So if the number comes in shy of expectations, you start to look at some of the increased investment in football, which by the way, George Klyovkov has, you know, spent his tenure so far really impressing upon campus leadership the need to invest in in the football product to to lift all the other boats which is sound strategy but it's worked and it's i think it's led to more to, to greater investment not that washington needed prodding from the, the conference commissioner to do that but um there have been some checks written that that now these schools need the ability to uh to, to pay out so um there's there's gonna have to be some money there let me let me ask you, kind of go back to the statement that started it. Uh, it was February 13th, so it's Monday. The, pack, the 10 Pac-12 universities look forward to consummating successful media rights deal, and then apostrophe S, in the very near future. Based upon positive conversations with multiple potential media rights partners over the past few weeks, we remain highly confident in our future growth and success as a conference and united in our commitment to one another. Why do, did they release it right now? Why, why release a statement? that doesn't really say anything other than sort of we're optimistic and work together. Why do you think they did it? Well, I think you point to stories like, like the one the athletic published Mm -hmm. that were, and, and others that have been not super encouraging regarding the, the progress of, of said Uh media rights negotiations. And I, I just think there, there probably was some, some thought internally that you know hey people are wondering you know are 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 the 10 schools still united and yeah you know could the big 12 get involved and the you know until you sign a grant of rights people are going to be talking about those four corner schools in in particular washington and oregon are a little bit of a different spot because the doors to the big 10 seem to be closed and i don't know why they would would leave the pac-12 for any league but the but the big 10 um i just think there's been a lot of negativity around and it's mid-february and, yeah. you know, the Big 12 jumped them in line and signed their deal and, you know, got less than they, they could have if they'd probably strung it out, but made a play for stability and they're locked in. And so I just think like the longer it goes, the more people are looking around like, hey, are you, you know, are you guys going to do something? Like, are you going to, are you going to make an announcement here? Cause it's, it's getting kind of late, you know, it's, 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 it's time to, to make some decisions here. So I think that that's kind of been the vibe that's swirling and. Yeah. They probably just thought, "Hey, let's let's put something out to at least you know get on the record publicly that everyone's still happy and we're approaching a deal." It does feel a little like something you don't put out if you are approaching a deal. <laughs> I know that's exactly <laughs> what I was so. going to say. Like this is, I constantly have a difficulty identifying irony. Like I know most people misuse it when they're like, "Oh, that's ironic." It's like it's not actually ironic. Like that's a coincidence. Like that's yeah, it's like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> yeah. Not ironic. Like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. That's not ironic either. 
It's just a lot of spoons. However, I believe this statement is ironic, and I'll explain why. Irony is doing something that has the exact opposite result of that which is intended. (laughs) And this statement is intended to increase confidence, right? Or the feeling that, like, we're actually in good shape. The fact that they released this statement makes me more skeptical that they're actually confident because I'm like, well, they actually are worried about what people are saying. <laughs> like they're, they're concerned about that. And if they really knew it was going well, they wouldn't be worried about what people are saying about them. What's the per school valuation? Like, assuming they do get a deal done and everyone's united and it's still a 10-team league and blah, blah, blah. Like, what's the per school number that would, that would, uh, necess- that, or that, that would prompt a victory lap? by George Klyovkov. So here's the thing. Like, is it just getting more than the Big 12? Yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea. I refuse to learn these metrics. Like, I, I really do. Like, you can tell <laughs> me what the number is. I cannot tell you the total value of any of these, these broadcast rights deal because I really don't care. I don't know enough to understand how it filters down. I completely distrust executives who release these numbers. And frankly... Like, I'm not all that interested in how the business of TV works. I'd like my school to get as much of that money as possible. I don't think and understand that they're not going to get as much as either the Big Ten or the SEC, but I refuse to clutter my head with with minutia. It's not even minutia. I refuse to clutter my head with the marketing fluff of of TV suits. Do you think that um, I, I refuse from to their be partners smart. Is... <laughs> Sorry, is that is that the dictionary definition of hard headedness? Yes, it is. It's like yeah, yes, that's that's exactly what it is. Like no, I don't, I don't even want to know. You 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 have a better idea. Like how much should each school want? Well, the Big Twelve is, is what thirty one million and change mm-hmm. um, from from their media rights deal. If it comes in less than that, it's going to be a real bad look. Yeah. Like optics wise, especially since the, the, the general thought is that the Big 12 took less than what it could have gotten if it had gone to the open market um, by, by opening their, their renegotiations with their current partners. So if it comes in less than that total overall, it's, it's especially like if they do sell off all of their football inventory. Okay. So there's not going to be any more football games in the Pac 12 network. And the Pac 12 network is just going to exist to broadcast all, you know, the Olympic sports. Oh wait, um, wait! Don't we don't we think it's getting sold? Well, it, it's possible they did move into a new facility. Yeah. Um, I I know I've seen some speculation that they could sell off their their football and men's basketball and inventory, keep everything else, and keep everything else. Oh, good God! But I don't know. I mean, who 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 knows? Whatever whatever makes the math work best is probably what they'll do with the Pac-12 network. I would imagine. <laughs> What a colossally bad idea. But that's the that's the other thing. Like the Pac-12 network distributions were not anywhere near what schools hoped they would no, be. No, because Moron but, didn't get them on. It, he couldn't get them on Directv. But that was still a positive dollar amount. That mm-hmm. like, if there's not going to be any games on the Pac-12 network anymore, you need to factor that into what the the payout would be from. Let's say it's yes, some combination of ESPN and Amazon. Well, that's not just their it might not just be their their tier one rights it might be tier one plus all the football games that they otherwise would have been broadcasting on the pac-12 network so 
if it's a little bit bigger number than you might think, well, it's it's more games, right? So that's that's something to consider too with with the dollar amount. But like, if it's not more than thirty one, like people are gonna be are gonna be you know pretty upset. I think. Yeah. Which is a weird like. The only people who should really care are are like the administrators and the presidents and the conference office and stuff. Yes. But, Fans are super into media rights payouts now. So. It's so dumb. Why? I, 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 I truly like it well, is because the- it does matter. It's, it, it's, it's very important. It's your biggest revenue stream, or at least it should be. If it's not like you've either mastered something with ticket sales that nobody else has, or you've got a problem, but um, it's important you know. in a very indirect way though. Right? Like it's important in terms of how much, your school gets from the totality of the deal like it's not it's people pretend that it's like some sort of like you have to get a higher benchmark than than the other conference and that's partly true but it's 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 exaggerated so much because i mean what's the difference between 34 million per school and 30 million per school it's a huge difference in terms of perception is it that big a difference in the actual, like, what it allows you to do? I would argue that the perception of the difference is greater. Yeah, maybe. I, I think right now Washington would say a $4 million per year difference. variance is significant. <laughs> is They're like, look, we still have this guy coaching basketball games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's a good this point. This is the difference of being able to fire Mike Hopkins or not. And that's a big, you know, that's a big difference. <laughs> God, have you watched any of their games? A couple, yeah. Dude, there is a contingent of people online. I, I, God help them. Like, there is a surprisingly large number of people on Twitter who defend Mike Hopkins. <laughs> and I don't get it. I don't get it at all. They're like, oh, you've actually seen the team improve. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yes, they have improved from from being god awful and unbelievably bad to being an acceptable, like almost average Pac-12 team. Like the thing is, that's not an acceptable trajectory for this program. Not to bring every single thing back to finances, but um, the football program is tanking under Jimmy Lake, and you owe him yes monthly payments totaling about nine point nine million dollars over the next three years. Yep, that is an absolute no brainer from a return on investment standpoint right that it's a sunk cost and yeah it's more money than you'd ever like to spend to pay a coach who's not coaching but like football the 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 swings in football revenue from bad team to good team and then exponentially out into the future are so enormous that it's that's nothing you 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 just you pay it you do what you need to do to pay it it can't be a consideration that oh but but you'd owe him x dollars you made way more money by letting him go, hiring Kalen DeBoer, and having the season you had. Like, not talking about momentum, appearance, or any of that stuff. Financially, that paid dividends. Like, this has, that is more, that move, even though you're eating that much money, has more than paid for itself. It's a different calculation with men's basketball. That's true. <laughs> $6 million right now. You'd yep. be committing this. Now, you're committing to $6 million over the life of of his remaining contract the way you're committing to 9.9 million over the life of Lake's remaining contract at some point those coaches are going to become reemployed and their con- the, you know your your 
obligation to them will be offset by the amount of their new compensation. Um, you know, if Mike Hopkins were fired, I I think he'd get another assistant job somewhere, right? Like he'd he'd resurface somewhere and there'd be some there'd be some mitigation on his buyout. But like if you did commit to paying your basketball coach six million dollars over a two year period to not coach, the re- the potential return on investment on that isn't great enough to justify it when you don't just have that money laying around. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah. I, I men's agree basketball with you. at the University of Washington is profitable. It's always profitable. It's one of two sports that that brings in more money than it spends. And yes, when they're better and the arena is full or close to full for most of their home games, they make more money. And like there is probably some some lost revenue potential there, but the ceiling on that is not so high that you just throw out millions of dollars and buy out money to go hire a coach to a program where that's the other thing. Like if you fire Jimmy Lake as the University of Washington, you feel like you're going to attract a, a quality candidate, right? Yep. If you fire Mike Hopkins, you know, how good is that job? Correct. What kind of people are you going to get lining up to, to want to take it? And, and what are you going to have to pay them? So yeah, I do think it, it does become a, a financial calculation too. And like the potential return on investment for paying that much money to fire a basketball coach just, just isn't there compared to the football program. You have to look at two things, which is the likelihood that the coach that you hire is going to be better than Mike Hopkins, which is not a sure thing, where I would say that the likelihood that when you let Jimmy Lake go that you were going to get somebody that was better in that position is significant. And then the, the, other, the other part, and this is the, the bigger part of like, okay, say you do hire a good coach and he is better. What's the ceiling on what better means? Like what's what's a likely outcome of better and better for football is so much significantly higher than what better for basketball would mean. And I know because I've had these arguments with people where they're like, look at what Lorenzo Romar did and what he was able to do. And if you got someone like Lorenzo in his early years, that would be such a huge improvement similar to the your your program's going to be better off and it's going to pay for itself. And it's like, well, you're taking one guy from a very sort of narrow slice of what is close to 30 years of, of Husky basketball history at this point. Like, you're taking the most successful slice of time from a guy who was coaching at his alma mater. And not only that, but like a year and a half in, things looked kind of rough for Loro. Like, it, it wasn't a slam dunk. Like, it wasn't immediate. Like, there were some, there was, there was, there was definitely some dicey moments early on and halfway through his second season, people weren't like lining up and saying, oh my gosh, this is good. So yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm not saying that Washington should have, or this is ridiculous that they haven't let go of him, but it's a bad product they're putting on the field, Christian, or on the court. It is. It's, it's, it's rough. It's, it's, um, it's tough when just like football, every game is televised yeah it's true <laughs> and so it feels like it feels really big time still and it is it generates a profit like there aren't really any other sports that generate a profit in college athletics with the exception of like some women's basketball programs some baseball programs like in the SEC, and it's it's negligible um but it's not it just it just is not the revenue driver that football is not yeah. even close 
So it's it is weird because yeah, it's if football is the front porch, basketball is what it's like. It's like the side door that you leave unlocked that you can still get into the house through. Yeah, or it's, and you can you can see it. It's visible from the street. So it's it the feels, car in the garage. Yeah, um, but it's uh, it's it's just probably at the University of Washington, not worth spending. Well, a now, huge, now, like I remember, it was a big deal that Lorenzo Romar's buyout was like three point two million. Yeah, and like that was a number that was going to keep them from like, oh gosh, do they want to pay three million to fire their basketball coach? Although, like since you mentioned Romar too, um, that's an example like from an administrative like nailing the hire perspective, they just got lucky. Mm-hmm. He was their fourth choice. Yeah, and if anything, like that search, times have changed a little bit, but like that search illustrated how like undesirable the job is relative to the football program at Washington. Yeah. I mean, cause essentially Dan Monson didn't want it. Went Mark to Min- didn't want it. Yeah. Went to Minnesota. Like Dan Monson, like it was like, no thanks. And the, the upgrade was Minnesota. Um, yeah. And then few didn't want it. Yeah. I think who was, who was the third? Uh, I have to go back. And oh, look. uh, Quinn Snyder. Oh yeah. Right. That was always a pipe dream though. Yeah, but so you you hired your fourth choice, and it just turned out that he did a killer job for you know many years before things started to backslide. And so, like, is that is that what you're going to pay your coach six million dollars to not coach so that hopefully you can you, you can swing and miss on three guys and hit the lottery on your fourth choice? Yeah, I do want to correct it too. It's not the last thirty years; it's the last twenty years. I was making myself sound older than I was. 30 years ago was the start of the Bender era. They went to two tournaments under Bob Bender. They did. Got stomped. Stomped by Wally Zerbiak in the second one. And then I was almost murdered when they lost to uh, UConn in the, the round, of, round of 16. That was to go to the Elite Eight. Yeah, I was in Connecticut when that happened. I was loud and obnoxious. <laughs> um, Washington solved its 2023 quarterback numbers issue. Did you I see? S- I did see this. Tell me. So Austin Mack committed which I knew that he was interested in Washington, but now he's officially committed, but then he's, he's reclassifying. Yeah. So he committed um, a couple of weeks back in the 2024 class. And there was, there had always kind of been some buzz. He might reclassify. And he, yeah, he just announced on Tuesday, he will indeed reclassify and he'll be at Washington this fall. So he's played his last high school football game. Um, interesting prospect that he's a, he, I, I see 24 seven sports already has him re-ranked in the 2023 cycle and they still have him as a top 75 guy um i'd i'd been told that there was some potential that you know he's still kind of got a small sample size like he hasn't played that much uh that if he'd played his senior year like maybe he's a guy who could have moved up into five-star territory uh we'll never know now but it gets it gets them a third scholarship quarterback i wonder if it accomplishes the same thing though uh because is he someone you would put on the field in 2023? I, I I wouldn't think so. He has, you know, he'll be 17 by the time he gets there, but he's still 16 years old right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, the play, you know, if he's anywhere near the field, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong with Michael Penix Jr. and Dylan Morris. But um, it's you know, I see the I see the upside. It gives them a third scholarship guy. He gets to spend a year learning from two veterans who go about their business very professionally and, you know, can kind of show him the way as far as like what it takes to, to prepare and everything in a, at a big time program. And 
um, gets to watch Michael Penix Jr. sling it. So there, there are worse ways to spend a year not playing. Just from like a, a pure like you know personal perspective, I'd have a hard time walking away from being the the stud starting quarterback as a senior at a, a program like Folsom that competes for state championships. But um, you know, obviously, he he had some some positives to consider on the other side as well. I that was my first thought. I was like, he must really want to get started with college football if he's willing to pass up his senior season. <laughs> that's and and I'm sure what it is is he looks at it and he's like if I get up there and have a year in the program I've got a legitimate shot to start in 2024 right like it definitely creates the narrative that he should be the guy in 2024 right and which then opens up the discussion of like so does Dylan Morris still finish his career at Washington yeah it, it'll depend on on what he wants right like I mean I think the fact that he's still there the fact that Dylan Morris is still there speaks to like he he likes it's not contingent upon him being the starting quarterback at the University of Washington for him to be enjoying his experience and wanting to stay there. Like if being the starter was the most important thing to him, he he would probably look elsewhere because I mean he had a guy transfer in and, and beat him out and he's 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 stayed put. And I would think he also looks at it and says like Austin Mack might want to start in 2024 but i'm ready to compete and and show that i'm the person that's that's held that job and if you look at sort of how things have gone so far i would i would think that you feel this coaching staff is pretty honest about evaluating competition right like dylan morris stayed as the backup quarterback when people like me were wondering what that said about sam heward's development so i i would I would think there's got to be some trust that Dylan Morris has about the way that his coaches evaluate quarterback play. Yeah, and they're they're not going to hand the job to anybody. Right. They didn't even hand it to Michael Penix Jr. So I, I'm sure there's some part of, of Dylan Morris that looks at it and is like, well, yeah, like you mentioned, everyone said Sam Heward was going to beat me out, and look what happened there. Yeah. So I should just, well, I should just like, you know, tuck my tail and run because this this high school kid is coming early and he'll be a redshirt freshman and I'm a sixth year senior going into 2024. Like who's to say I can't beat him out to, you know, why, why should Dylan Morris feel like he can't beat him out too? So, you know, you have no idea once a guy gets to campus, how he's going to develop. And I'm sure Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have told Austin Mack, like, yeah, like you see the depth chart, you know, Michael Penix Jr. will be gone after this year. You'll have a chance to compete for the job, but there's no way that they're ordaining him. And or, you know, telling him that it's his—that'll be the perception publicly. We, you know, once he has a year in the program, and we'll see what the roster looks like. That's the other thing. I mean, there's just there's no telling what can change in a quarterback room between now and then. The other, you know, the other domino is is what does this do to to EJ Kaminong because he's committed in 2024. They were obviously willing to take a second quarterback in his class. Well, now. It's basically like they've just replaced Lincoln Keenholz's spot in the 2023 class, but you're coming in the class behind him, and he's a highly rated guy. And you know, if things go according to plan, and I'm the 2024 commit, you know how how much opportunity am I going to have to be a starter? So, a lot of you know, any any decision made at the quarter the quarterback position uh, is going to have a a domino effect in some way. So we'll see. But it does seem like they've. Uh, Maybe they don't need to go get a transfer now for this year. I like the idea too. This is this is a. Are you ready for one of my crazy theories? I'm always ready. You watched the Super Bowl. I did. So the short yardage 
play that Philadelphia runs where oh, you need you, you want a QB, a big old QB sneak guy. <laughs> Here's my question. How good of a team could Philadelphia be if it only ran the quarterback sneak the same play over and over again the entire game? <laughs> well, you know, the Green Bay Packers have a defensive analyst who I think would be a great a great coordinator to deploy that strategy. <laughs> John Donovan? Like, seriously, you watch it, because I watched it, and I was like, I'm not sure how you keep this play from gaining three yards. I, yeah, it's like automatic. It, and it's, it's wild, and it's because of those offensive linemen get so low, and they drive, and then Mr. Squats 600 pounds starts going, Chris Jones jumped over the line of scrimmage. Chris Jones is 300 pounds. Hit Jalen Hurts. And Jalen, <laughs> and Jalen Hurts sl- moved to... Came to a standstill and then proceeded to keep going. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you can stop that play from gaining ten yards over a series of of four repetitions. It doesn't look like it should work either. Like they line up and it's like, oh, it looks like the defense has like 43 guys up there on the line of scrimmage. Like I, I don't think they're getting this. Oh, three yards. It, Easy. it is every time. I don't think you could beat an NFL team. Like I. I like Houston, I was like the worst NFL team. Could you beat them? And I'm like, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so because it's not explosive enough. And even the other team's offense, I was like, but I definitely think you'd beat an SEC team. <laughs> Jacob Eason was really good at the snake. He was. He was big though, right? Like being tall is an advantage with the quarterback sneak, I think, because you kind of get a lean going where you're, you're not, yeah, I, I, I think being tall is an advantage on the sneak. We're pleased with our 116 ratings on Apple Podcasts, but it can always be better. It can always be more. If you like the podcast, if you enjoy listening every week, uh, we sure would appreciate it if you'd go in and, and leave, you know, preferably a five-star rating. But if you feel like it's only a four, we won't ask you to lie. You know? <laughs> no, I want man, you to be honest. I'm going to quote Bomani Jones. <laughs> give us five stars. If you only give us four, I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Well, we we like we like haters who listen, though. That's true. We want people who get unreasonably mad by things we do. Next time, number one pick, Caleb McGarry. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week.